What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. We had requests to have Glenn Asbury back to do a second interview. So we decided to do that exact thing and have another conversation with Glenn. If possible, I think that this was a better conversation than the first one that we had. He definitely went more in depth and he went into some uncomfortable conversations as well. So without further ado, here is part one of the return of Glenn Asbury. Let's go. We're ready. Three, two, one. Get ready, set, go. Let me let me tell you something I just figured out. I've I've learned this the past few nights. I want to add this real quick before we get into our topic. Having a young child will make you think that your house is haunted because there's freaking toys. There's toys, dude. I'm sitting there. Me and me and Missy are sitting in the in the uh, kitchen the other night, and I hear a little kid talking. And number one, Anderson can't talk. So <laughs> I've had I've had a couple of these instances where I'm like, uh, Lord, <laughs> you might want to send a little extra special, you know, maybe some angel SWAT to you or something on this one. <laughs> You have had probably more paranormal activity happen around you more than anybody I know. (laughs) (laughs) When when I come down to uh, your house, I'm usually carrying a Bible and praying a little bit. It It sounds like if I come around, I need to bring a a crucifix and some garlic. (laughs) Yes, Yes, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Now we're talking. <laughs> well, we're back uh, with with Glenn Asbury. Glenn, I want to welcome you back to the show, and actually to uh, hostile Protestant territory this evening. We've decided to glen- uh, to to gang up on you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's good to be back. I need to ask a question real quick before we get started. It seems like it's kind of rare for a guest to come on and have what seventy five percent of the co hosts all on. The panel. It is so rare. Have I like a, have I achieved a new like hillbilly broadcast no. guest yes. status? <laughs> I, I think you have. I think you have. I've made it, man. I just put out the word that I needed to help keep an eye on you, Glenn. <laughs> yes. Yes. I see. So, Glenn, this is actually kind of by request. After you were on for the first time, there were people that. Um, Really enjoyed what you had to say and had more questions. So actually, you came up with the idea to to put out a, a Facebook post and yes, let sir. people know we're going to be doing this episode, and so they could write in, they could write in their questions, and and you would take them. Which means you're a very brave man, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, uh, Phil? That, again, that's kind of you. But on that note, uh, may I say something about this real quick, sure. right out of the gate? Uh, first, I, I would advise any listener 
if you have not done this yet. If you want to listen to this episode, everyone is welcome. We want as many people to listen as possible, obviously. But I would recommend listening to Phil's and my previous episode before you listen to this one. Yeah, That will inform a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight. The second thing I want to say real quick is the, the number one. The feedback that both Phil and I got from the first episode was was immense, and I would say a hundred percent was very kind. Uh, and I I heard uh, I got feedback from all across the spectrum, from people who are still in the CHM to Catholic friends, and uh, everyone was very kind. So I'm gratified, and to God be the glory. In all honesty, but I wanted to say this: the similar to that, the volume of questions that between various posts and cross posts on social media and threads and then private messages the volume of questions we got was was rather immense oh yeah and we're gonna go a little while tonight from my understanding but if you do not hear your question addressed this evening be of good cheer. It is not being permanently ignored. We just, there are only 24 hours in a day. That's and right. uh, so we will, uh, the plan, I believe, Phil, correct me if I'm wrong, but the plan, I believe, is to record again, I suppose, within reason, however many times we need to, until all the questions have been addressed. But we just want sure. to get to all of them tonight. Sure. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a very interesting, very interesting topic. I mean, I was actually talking to somebody the other day and about uh, about you and about Catholicism and all that. And I said he hasn't he hasn't persuaded me. However, he has made me caused me to soften my view a lot. And this it was interesting because this guy was talking. He's like, "Oh yeah, me too." He's like, "He's he's done the same thing for me." So uh, I will take it. I, I will take it with gratitude. <laughs> yeah, we, like I said in That's our in me. our first episode, we, um, not around it. You know, wasn't around it. Uh, sure. In fact, sure. the old timers. Neither was I for sure. Years. A lot of the old timers, they even figured in the uh, that that the Catholic Church was somehow this end times beast and also the anything that we heard about oh, it was bad. Yes. You know. Yes, the Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. The Jack Chick tracks and all of it. Oh, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> growing, growing up, I, I never heard anything good about the Catholic. It was always, stay away from them. They're no good. Don't even think about going near them. Don't. If you ever see them, you run in the opposite direction. Yeah. And so, I'm, you know, and so, of course, obviously, since coming out of that, that's not how I am at all anyways, you know, because sure. I'm like, okay, I got to figure out this stuff for myself. So it's been really good to, you know, to hear your side of things. And yes, so I'm loving this. Well, thanks, Kane. And then, yes, I, I resemble that remark. I mean, that was that was very similar to my own. Um, I mean, really, my growing up exposure to the Catholic faith ranged from what Phil just referenced, just he- just hearing and knowing very little to yeah. what I did hear was very, very similar to what you've said. It it, mm-hmm. it wasn't good. I look back now, and this is something we actually didn't have a chance to touch on in the last episode, Phil, but I look back now and I see two factors that I see now um, God allowed to come into my life, I would say. Uh, engineered to come into my life to begin to open my mind and my heart to the Catholic faith. I was probably a 
about 12 or 13. And, you know, growing up in the conservative holiness movement, there wasn't much of this kind of thing that happened, what I'm about to describe. But I became Chuck Colson's works, his books and his testimony crossed my path. Is that a name that's familiar to any of you you guys? Is that the prison ministry's guy? Yes. Yeah, that's the guy. And he... Chuck Colson. Chuck, this is you guys being a little younger. Well, he passed away back in 2012. But just to give a quick biographical sketch, Chuck was Richard Nixon's what they called. I mean, they called him his hatchet man. He was his guy. He did his dirty work for him, and he was super smart. He built coalitions. Had a lot to do with Nixon's at that time unprecedented 49 state victory over George McGovern in 1972. Well, anyway, Chuck got accused of Watergate-type crimes, which he actually had not committed and had not been involved in. But in all of the, of course, crisis of all of that, the, the testimony is beautiful. We don't have time to get into that tonight. But the bottom line is he was introduced to Jesus Christ by a friend of his and came to faith in Christ in a, just an amazing way. And uh, then lived the rest of his life serving God and, uh, yes, like Phil mentioned, founding Prison Fellowship, which is still going strong today in prisons all across the world, teaching people the basics of the Christian faith. And anyway, Chuck was not Catholic, but he was very warm towards Catholics. And in fact, he was a pioneer in dialogue between Protestants and devout Protestants and Catholics I see. in the late 80s and into the 90s and into the 2000s up until his death. He and Father Richard Newhouse, which is a name that I may mention again later on when we address one of the questions we have on tap, the two of them brought a lot of Catholic and Protestant leaders together to craft a document that you can still go online and find called Christ, called uh, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And it's just a very frank statement about what we agree on and what we don't, but also how we have wronged each other in the past and what we need to ask hmm. each other forgiveness for. It's a beautiful document. I'll be darned. I gotta look this up. I think it has paved the way. Yeah, I would highly recommend. I can send it to you all later. But sure. that Chuck Chuck Colson was my buy-in in a lot of ways. And also the example, which again would probably be mostly before you guys' awareness time, because of you guys all being a little younger than I am. But uh, Pope, now Saint John Paul II, and his example of opposition to communism and his courage, his friendships with people like Billy Graham and President Reagan, um, you couldn't help but notice the power of his example. And so those two things, these were, this was not on the agenda for tonight, but I thought you guys and maybe others might be interested to know that that was part of my early exposure. Sure, sure, Chuck Colson. I had no idea. Uh, Well, kind of along along that line, Glenn. A question that that came in from a a listener, and that I was also curious about. So, a lot of people would say that going from CHM to Nazarene, mm, not a huge deal. Okay, fairly fairly similar 
In fact, in a lot of them, you'd probably hear a sermon that if you closed your eyes and couldn't see how people were dressed, you probably couldn't tell a huge difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Yes, I do. Then Nazarene to Catholic, that's uh, quite the transition. And and I remember- Bigger leap. Yes, a big leap. And last time we kind of ran short on time and we weren't able, uh, you weren't able to go as much into this. So uh, actually, I'll say it was John Baker. That was one of the things he's like, hey, I want to know more about his- how he decided to go from Nazarene to Catholic. So walk us through that a little bit, Glenn. I'm really glad that John asked this question. And one of the things that I've always wanted to uh, be sure, so, so I'm glad I had, I'm having a chance to flesh this out a little bit more tonight, because one of the things I've always wanted to be sure that people understand when they hear my story is that my and my family's journey from the Church of the Nazarene to the Catholic faith shouldn't be construed as an anti-Nazarene move. Now, obviously, there are sizable differences doctrinally and in terms of practice between the way the Church of the Nazarene folks worship and some of what they believe versus Roman Catholicism. But it was not out of animosity to the Church of the Nazarene that we converted to the Roman Catholic faith. Um, I mentioned Father Newhouse a minute ago, Father Richard John Newhouse. Father Newhouse grew up in the... Lutheran tradition in the Missouri Synod. And when he became Catholic, the way that he put it is similar to what I say about how I feel in regards to the Church of the Nazarene. What he said was everything that he had been taught in Lutheranism that he held dear and realized had informed his walk with Jesus Christ None of it was lost. He just became more fully what he already was. I see. And I thought that, yes, I thought that was just a beautiful way to put it. Now, I, I should say this. Um, the, the, the Kokomo Nazarene Church that we attended for eight years, when I talked, when I walked everyone through last time, our journey of, of leaving the conservative holiness movement, one thing that I didn't clarify, that I'd like to tonight is that when we left the CHM, it really wasn't too much, if any at all, because of doctrinal differences. It was differences about the external uh, requirements that we elaborated on and went over. If you want to hear more about that, go listen to the last episode. (laughs) But we can't retread all that tonight. It was only later guys after going to the Nazarene church and, and just being delighted to be there for a while that, you know, you, as, as one should, uh, I began to examine and think about different things as the months passed. And it was after a couple of years, I realized I, I, I just didn't feel like the uh, teaching on the two works of grace, you know, 
salvation and then the necessity of a second work of grace called entire sanctification. I just, I just realized I didn't feel that that teaching held up to the scrutiny of scripture or history. And does the Nazarene church still teach that Glenn? Thank That is such a perfect question. Is that where it's going to go anyway? um, Phil at the pastor at that time would mention it and one-on-one, he would talk to me about it. I think he believed it. Okay. <laughs> the interesting thing is that now I believe he he's no longer there. I believe he attends a Lutheran church now, Missouri Center. <laughs> no figure. But yeah, but at that at that time, yeah, at that time he did. But I will tell you this, and this this shouldn't be considered as as a knock. It's it's just I'm just making a statement. Um, I, I wasn't there very long at all in the in that church a year or two before I realized. I remember telling my wife, I said, "You know, I guarantee because we'd gotten to know quite a few. It was a very warm, you know, it was a very warm community. It still is, and we got to know a lot of people real quick. And but I remember telling my wife as we after we'd gotten to know, you know, a broad spectrum of folks. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I guarantee ninety to ninety five percent of the folks in the in the seats." Every service have no idea that this is a a second work of grace holiness church mm-hmm. that still has it in its manual. I guarantee, <laughs> and my mind has not changed in that regard. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've had enough yeah. conversations in the years since then. Right. So, yeah, I, they they had and continue to have. I, I guarantee you, no idea. So, yeah, I mean, the the awareness level on the part of the congregation certainly wasn't there anyway. But the bottom line is, when we left the CHM, I knew, I knew what I wanted to leave behind in terms of teachings. I don't know that—I don't know that we—well, no, we didn't. We, we, knowing where you're going is another matter altogether. And— um, I, again, this is something that I addressed in the last episode, but as far as the reason for for leaving the Nazarene Church, it was more about what I came to believe through the following years of study as I started to think about what do Christians believe, what have they always believed, and I came to the realization that you know, 20,000 different denominations that everyone, there's some things that most people have in common, but even, even basics, the cult, the, the uh, issues that are causing a lot of cultural turmoil, like, you know, gay marriage and what's permitted with abortion or not, and, and divorce. And I could name quite a few, I could go on, but People are all over the map on these, sure. and I was like, "This, this can't be how it is. Somebody's got, somebody's got to be right. Somebody's got to be wrong." And Jesus said that His will was for us to be one, not to like each other as much as we can, but still disagree <laughs> on a bunch of things. <laughs> and so that led to my study of historical Christianity, and all of this took place over a period of years. I'm greatly truncating it and talking about it, yeah. but when when I began to study the early church fathers, both what they taught and the remarkable amount of consensus that there was, 
and began to look at what an early church service looked like. You'll remember this from the last episode. I'm not saying that, but you will. Uh, it, it it didn't look like a Baptist worship service or a or a Pentecostal shout fest or anything. It looked astonishingly like a Catholic mass, and so that's just that's a big part of the answer. So, really, uh, to distill my answer to John down to one sentence, this is how I would put it. Once I realized that, once I realized where the arrows were pointing, it kind of changed the question from what am I looking for to, okay, why am I not that? I see. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So does that also make sense when you think about, I'm using you guys as a sounding board that everybody's kind of going to listen in on, but when when I say, as I said a few minutes ago, that it wasn't an anti-Nazarene outlook, per se, does that make sense? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 100%. Good. You say it like I was not being... You know, a lot of people take it as, well, you, you moved to a different denomination, which means you are anti this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. So saying, you know, bringing that to light that you aren't anti, like that, I feel like that should really bring, I don't know, other people's respect up. You know what I mean? Well, I think I do, Mariah. And on that note, I will just say this almost universally with a couple of key exceptions, yeah. and both of the cases I'm thinking of, they've both big time totally come around. Uh, when we when we let the folks at Kokomo First Nazarene know that we were leaving and moving over to the Catholic faith, everyone's reaction almost universally was we will miss you. We wish you didn't feel like you need to. But honestly, and I heard this from a lot of people, but if that is where God is calling you to go, you've got to go. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Sure. And she's exactly right. If if God has called yeah. you there, who are they to judge to and yeah. say that? And that was their reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm so glad I get Yeah. I'm so glad that John asked this question and gave me the opportunity to expand on it because we are still we're still very close to that community of believers. In fact, uh, Pam and I were just there tonight. We we participate. They they have Christmas musicals and Fourth of July ones, and they are kind of they're really kind of a community event. Anyone from the community can come and practice and then sing, whether you attend the yeah. church or not. And so that's been a great way for us to continue to stay involved. They also allow their facility at Kokomo First Nazarene to be used every couple of weeks by our local homeschool group. And of course, that is participated in by churches uh, and some non-church folks. Sure. Very few, but some from all across the Kokomo community and surrounding small towns. So uh, it's it's they're wonderful people. I love them dearly. And I still consider many of them some of, as some of my dearest friends. 
This actually brings up a question, Glenn, that, that I had uh, for later on, but since we're here, uh, sure. I remember asking you when we first got to talking, because this was a, a misconception of mine, and, and I'll, just, I'll just ask you now and let you, let you explain it again for the audience. How do, uh, do Catholics look at Protestants as uh, brothers in Christ, fellow believers, stuff like that? I'm, again, I'm so delighted that you asked this question. Uh, I will, really, the question could be even broader than that. Um, the Catholic faith teaches us to be very quick in discernment in terms of judging actions. It teaches us to be very, very careful about judging someone's eternal destiny, though. And I can bring it in even closer when it comes to who we refer to as our separated brothers and sisters in Christ. So that partly sure. answers your question right there. Well, it does. These are, these are people, Protestants are people who are Christians, but they're not in full communion with us. I think we would all for acknowledge that, yeah, right? Absolutely. That we, that I would, I view it, I view it as a sadness. I think we, I think we all, I think whether you all, you guys would put it that way or not, you could you could understand that that comes from a heart of 100% compassion. Absolutely. I view it as a sadness that we're not in full communion with each other, but we're we're all being honest. That's that's what we are. But can can someone go to heaven without being Catholic? When people hear Catholic teaching and read the Catechism and read uh, centuries of tradition, they come across the phrase, there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church, and that puzzles a lot of Protestant folks. What that means is, there's another way of saying it, is that all that salvation subsists in the Catholic Church. So what that means is, any graces that come to someone, including the redemptive grace of Jesus Christ, comes through his church to the world. And can Protestants take advantage of the graces of Jesus Christ, and are the graces of Jesus Christ found in many Protestant communities, even though, uh, you'll pardon me, but even though they're not in the fullness of the Catholic faith? Yes, absolutely. We, we would never, ever seek to limit God in that regard. And a lot of this was clarified in a good way in Vatican II. I, I have... I have some issues with, I'll, I would put it this way, some of what has been done in the name of Vatican II, at least, but it, since the 60 years ago that it was held. But that, the, the, the spirit of charity towards mm-hmm. our Protestant brothers and sisters that has continued to be fostered more deeply, I would say, in the years since then, has certainly been a positive development, I would say. So does that answer the question? Absolutely. And, and the reason I want to bring that up is I think that reflects on on how you were just talking about um, your friends that you're still very close to from the Nazarene church. Yes. For some reason, I was under the, uh, uh, I was misinformed, but for some reason, for all these years, I always thought, well, we think, uh, you know, the, that that y'all look down on us and vice versa. Because I, I can remember hearing, <laughs> now, some of the old school preachers that we used to be around, when they would get asked the reverse of this question, uh, they were not as kind 
<laughs> definitely didn't show no, as much. That's for sure. <laughs> but that I remember once you told me that I was like, oh. And then, uh, like I like I said before, when when uh, me and John were talking about it, just being exposed to uh, what you've got to say has really opened my mind up a lot about what's well, like. Well, I, I knew I knew absolutely nothing about Catholic yeah. faith before me and you started talking. But I, I always find that uh, I find that interesting. Phil, we are uh, we are not going in the order that we've sat down, but sent, I'm going to take a page out of your book that you just did, and th- this seems like a perfect segue to address a question that I believe that it was Regina Baker who asked, yeah. which was an excellent one, and she and maybe none of you three would would even realize this as we're talking but as i'm as we're talking i'm realizing that it fits very well she asked something along this line so if if a protestant attends a catholic mass yeah. she said she had heard that they are asked not to receive communion or is that that that, that is the expectation and I, I need to answer that very forthrightly and say, yes, that is correct. So I need to say why that is and what it does or does not mean. So Catholics believe and teach that, I mean, it, it, this, is, this is one of the fundamentals of Catholic belief, that when we take communion, when we participate in the Eucharist, we are consuming the literal body and blood of Christ. So, two things I would say, Protestants don't believe that. That is a key division. It wasn't always this way, but that division formed pretty quickly after the Protestant we call it the Protestant Revolt, but <laughs> the Protestant Reformation. Like the, <laughs> That's the <a> Protestant perspective. <laughs> so a little inside uh, I like that. secret there for whether you. Call, uh, <laughs> but, whether you call uh, the Civil it, War or the War between the states, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or the War of Northern Aggression. Yes, I'm not yeah, saying all the, Northern all, Aggression. All the different names de- de- depend on, the, uh, uh, on one's perspective, yes, shall we say. But look, if we're being candid, it is a key dividing line between Catholics and Protestants. So uh, we wouldn't, we can't offer, uh, we can't offer to you what you don't know that you're receiving. Um, I see. In addition to that, this this would be the even bigger picture answer. Uh, going clear back to the early days of the church. Actually, let me tell our story first and what anyone who seeks to come into the Catholic um community to to become Catholic, uh, I think this will probably interest you guys because you probably wouldn't be aware of this. I wasn't until it was time for us to become Catholic. But, you know, I'll put it this way. When When we joined First Church of the Nazarene, we went to one three hour meeting. We're informed about, you know, different things that the church teaches and, uh, how the, how that particular local congregation functioned. And then that was on a Saturday. And the next day we were all welcome to the front of the church and uh, welcomed into membership. And, uh, it was, it was warm and very inviting. And, and again, this is not a negative. All right. When you go to become Catholic, you enter what's called 
RCIA, which stands for the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. That is a nine to ten month every week for two hours course of study Ooh, on boy. what it means oh to be Catholic. Wow. <laughs> wow. So and at at any point, if you find something you don't agree with, you're allowed well, it's not you're allowed, you you, you well, you drop out and you know, we see go, but it, it happens usually. Some people some people fall out along the way. And once you've gone clear through all of it, then you're ready to assent to everything the church teaches. And so that's so just even explaining that process, this is what the early church, may I say this, this is what the early church intended for people to be familiar with what following Christ meant. And I'll put it this way, guys. I think this is something we'll all understand, and I think we'll all be on the same page with this. Can we agree we're certainly living in a time that if you don't know that following Jesus Christ means certain things will be required of you, that there's a cost for it, uh, you're probably heading for disappointment in your life (laughs) at some point down the line. Because we're living in a day, it hasn't always been this way in the United States, but we're living in a day when following Christ in our lifetimes is probably going to cost us something, whether we're Catholic or Protestant. And think think about the New Testament era. Oh, and yes. what what it was like then. I mean, routinely people paid with their lives, right? Yep. So they needed to know what it was going to mean to follow Christ. And Absolutely. What they would be expected to defend. And that so that was that was the uh atmosphere in which the practice of Christian education, uh catechesis, you could call it, was uh was rooted in for those who sought to convert. So I have to say, um, Glenn, I yeah, so, in a way I can I can really admire that because coming from what we all did, there there was this thing of you just there were certain things that that you believed, but you didn't know why, and and you didn't even you especially didn't know the deep doctrine. We knew yeah. John Wesley was involved there somewhere, but I knew nothing <laughs> about him. You know, I didn't yes. didn't know church history. I didn't know the you know nobody sat me down and was like here's here's the reason why here's you know yes. let's just go down the list. Yeah. They didn't do that, so I can really appreciate that uh, Catholicism does it and and kind of gets you on the same page and explains it, uh, draws it all out there for you. Well, I agree with you, Phil, and I I, I do need to hastily add this. Um, I wish this were not the case, but if you go to the average Catholic congregation and just poll any. I don't know, pick your number, any 50 members of the congregation about, you know, what does the church teach about X or Y? Ugh, I would I would shudder with worry about <laughs> what, what you might hear. <laughs> uh, but I guess what I would say is it shouldn't be this way. All the resources are there. Uh, one thing I love about, I love everything about being Catholic. But one thing I love especially is there's a catechism. It's all right there. Sure, sure. It's all spelled out right there. But how many people take advantage of it? That's You can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him you drink. You can't make a drink. That's exactly right. Unless you load him up on sodium. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to the next one, Glenn. Um, we, got, we got a question. Uh, 
why do Catholics genuflect, and is this found in the Bible? Now, of course, my first thing is, what in the heck does it mean to genuflect? So I had to do a little Google search on that. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll let you feel that one, and I'll sit here and act yeah. like I know what I'm talking about. No, I, I figured that I might have to explain what the term genuflect even means, and I'm going to try to do it in such a way where it'll make sense because... I know that there are probably, I would suppose the majority of listeners to this episode have probably never been to a Catholic Mass. So when uh, when a Catholic enters the sanctuary and goes to his or her seat, before they enter the pew, they get down on one knee and bow towards the front, and then walk on in and usually sit down briefly, but then kneel again and and pray. But the genuflecting is what happens first, getting down on one knee and you know dropping real quick to one knee and then back up and then going to sit down. The reason for this is, well, I mean, you could look at it and think, okay, it's just a simple gesture of respect towards the front, which, of course, in every Catholic church, there's usually a large crucifix at the front, very prominently displayed, but that's not the reason. I actually thought that was the reason, even after I was Catholic for a while, but it's not. So, at the front of every sanctuary usually in the main platform area there's a, a a rather small structure with a little curtain in front of it i mean i'm we're talking probably a foot by 8 inches and it's usually shaped like a little house and it's called the tabernacle and inside behind the little curtain is the uh the basket that has the communion hosts in it. Ah, I see. Well, remember what I said a little bit ago about what we believe? That yes. That's actually Jesus. So, I mean, just do this thought experiment with me. If you're walking into church, and look, as Protestants, we're, we're, we weren't used to thinking this way. But, I mean, yes, it's, like, it's funny because it's like, okay, Jesus is here, but yet um, it, it kind of was like he wasn't. Right. In, in, in terms right. of what I'm about to say. So, but imagine this. If if literally when you walked into church, you know, you knew Jesus was there literally at the front of the church, it probably would be appropriate to kneel, sure. wouldn't it? In sure. acknowledgement of the fact that he was there. Well, that's why we do it. Big and we do it in the direction of that tabernacle where the hosts are. That's why. I see. So wow. when you ask, does the Bible teach that we should genuflect because of that i mean this is such a good opening to a broader question that i'll address in a moment but i mean i guess i would say no but yes because what would any christian naturally do when they're in the very literal presence of jesus what did what did the apostle John do? I think he's our best example, right? Because John was the one who was so familiar with Jesus when he was his disciple, uh, when Jesus was walking the earth, that he called himself the disciple who Jesus loved, and he leaned up close against him. He was just very, very, very close 
to Jesus. Yet what do we see John's reaction as in the book of Revelation when he sees Jesus in all of his glory? It's not, hey, Jesus, how you doing, buddy? It's so good to see you. No, he's falling prostrate on his face. And, uh, you know, Jesus is our friend. And I love it when I feel him close. But there's something also that is very real that sometimes we miss whether Catholic or Protestant, about the glory and majesty that is Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. And so I think that's what we naturally would do and should do, right? I mean, shouldn't that be our reflex to worship Mm -hmm. when we're in the presence of Christ? So um, that's how I would answer that. And that's where we're going to stop for part one of this interview. I hope you enjoyed the first part. You're definitely going to want to hear the continuation which will be out shortly. Glenn starts talking about some very difficult subjects, especially difficult to talk about if you're Catholic. Somebody wrote in the the question that hits many people's minds uh, when it comes to Catholicism. What about the way they've handled sexual abuse in the past? And Glenn hits it head on and does a very good job walking us through his thoughts on it. Uh, I have to say, a lesser man, probably myself, <laughs> would have looked at that question and uh, scooted on along, but <laughs> not Glenn Asbury. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some other things. Make sure you tune in. You're really going to like part two. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.